but we can get to the fact that there is a God. And then from there, we can uh, make another step and go, well, uh, how do you know which God you ought to worship? And uh, one of the ways that we know is through the Scriptures. And so we want to look at the Scriptures and whether or not that the Bible itself is reliable and trustworthy. Uh, I thought for a while about giving a really short answer to that question. You know, is the Bible reliable? Yes. Moving on. All right. <laughs> um, but I think that, uh, that it deserves a really more in-depth answer uh, so that you can be both confident in your own faith as well as uh, equipped to handle other people's questions about the Scriptures. And how do you, why do you trust the Bible? I mean, isn't the Bible just some dusty old book written by a bunch of guys a long time ago? How do you know that the Bible is true, that the Bible is reliable, and that you uh, can base your life and your eternal destiny on the things that it says? So I want to give you five reasons why... The Bible, I believe the Bible is in fact reliable. This is not all of them, but again, I have about a half hour. I'm trying, or I'm trying to give you a whole bunch of information in, uh, but, uh, but I'm going to give you some good answers, um, and I'm going give to give them to you as thoroughly as I can in the time that we have. So before I do that, let's pray, and then uh, we'll dig into this together. Uh, God, our Heavenly Father, we thank you that we do have, indeed, a trustworthy word from you that tells us not only who you are and what you are like, but also how to have a relationship with you and points us from Genesis to Revelation toward your Son and toward redemption in him. And Father, we thank you for that tremendous, amazing privilege of having a Bible having a written word from God to us that we can study and know and experience uh, transformation as we believe what it says to us about you. And Father, we pray that your Holy Spirit would guide our time together uh, this morning in all the things that we do, uh, whether we are praying or giving or singing or studying into your word. Uh, Father, help us to glorify you in all these things, and we pray in Jesus' name, amen. Well, I don't know if my slides are going to work this morning or not. They crashed the computer earlier, uh, one of the reasons we need some new equipment. But in any case, I want to give you five lines of evidence that the Bible is, in fact, reliable. So go to the next slide, if you would. All right. Um, a manuscript is the name that scholars use to refer to any copy or portion of a copy of an ancient document. And there are no originals of any ancient document that exist because of the perishable nature of the materials they were written on. These ancient documents were produced one of two ways, either on papyrus, which is uh, a reed, actually, that grows along the banks of the, the uh, Nile River, among other places, that they would split and they would mash together into sheets to make paper. That was early paper. Or they would take a uh, sheepskin or a goatskin, and they would take all the hair off of it and scrape it and get it really thin, and they would make something called parchment. And both of those materials, as you know, will rot 
or they will disappear, or they will just kind of flake away over time. And so copies had to be made on a continual basis. This is prior to the printing press, and so it's hand copies. And it's a very labor-intensive, very expensive process. To produce something like the Bible requires literally years of effort and writing all of these things. And, uh, and I want to show you, this chart behind me is the, the very best preserved uh, the documents from ancient times that we have with the absolute most copies. These are the best attested ancient documents that we have. And what you can see there is uh, you can read Julius Caesar's uh, Gallic Wars. Uh, the earliest copy that we have is about 900 A.D., uh, which is, in other words, about uh, 1,100 years ago. About about a thousand years after the events that they record, and we have ten manuscripts. That's considered a lot of the a lot of manuscripts of an ancient document. Of uh, Plato, we have about uh, seven copies, seven manuscripts, uh, and he wrote about 427 to 347 B.C. And so the events that that. Uh, that they record and the writings that they preserve are about 1,200 years, about a 1,200-year gap between them. And then as you move down through, you can see that compared to all these other ancient documents, there is one document that stands out head and shoulders above the rest, and that is the New Testament. In the New Testament, we have about 24,000 manuscripts. Let me break that down for you. Uh, we have, and by the way, more are being found all the time. In fact, there were some found just this last year or so, which are thought to date from the first century. So in other words, within the lifetime of the apostles. Um, but those have been found. And so the earliest copies that we have of the New Testament, manuscript evidence from the New Testament, is around 125 A.D., might be earlier than that, but it's about 125 A.D. Uh, within 25 to 50 years of the events they record, we have manuscripts. And we have not just a few, not 8 or 10, or, or in the case of Homer, which is the best preserved document, 643 copies of the Iliad from ancient times. Uh, what we have there is 24,000 documents. We have 5,700 roughly Greek New Testament manuscripts. We have another 10,000 copies of Latin manuscripts, uh, translations of the New Testament into Latin, about 10,000 of those, about 9,300 copies in other ancient languages like Syriac and Ethiopic and Coptic and Armenian, Slavic, Gothic, uh, these ancient languages from, uh, from Central Europe uh, as well as Africa. And all of those added together totals about 24,000 manuscripts. And then you add to that another 1 million quotations of the New Testament in Greek from the early church fathers. The, the early church fathers are the guys after the apostles were all died, uh, guys like Tertullian, uh, Justin Martyr, etc., guys that wrote, uh, many, in many cases, sermons and messages on the Bible. And we have 
quotations from the Bible in all of their messages and so forth. And all of their messages are preserved. And we have more than a million quotations from the church fathers of the New Testament. In fact, you can reproduce the entire New Testament, I think, except for nine verses, just on quotations from the early church fathers. Uh, because if we lost all of our manuscripts, we could still produce almost everything from just the quotations from the early church fathers, because these guys cited the New Testament continually, as you would expect when they're giving sermons on it. And so we have an incredible amount of data. Now, the problem that we have is that we have about 105% of the Bible, uh, because as things were copied by hand, there were some mistakes that are made in hand copying. And so when it comes to uh, studying ancient documents, and especially the New Testament, scholars place great emphasis on trying to discern uh, that what they translate into English correctly represents the original text, that what, was, that what God originally gave is what we actually have in front of us, and they produce critic, what are called critical editions of the New Testament. They look at all these manuscripts, thousands and thousands of them, and they compare and contrast um, and make sure that, that what is supposed to be there is what is there. Now, hand copying is a naturally error-prone process. Have you ever hand copied a document? Or even if you're typing and you're looking and you're trying to type something from over here into something over here, it's a naturally error-prone process. Sometimes people have misspellings. That's very, very common. Sometimes people will um, repeat words. You know, they write the same word twice, or they write the same phrase a couple of times, or they'll see the same word here in a document, and they'll see the same word here, and they'll skip everything in between. <laughs> and so a lot of these uh, manuscripts that we have have some errors in them. And so... I uh, want to just give you kind of an example of that. Go to the next slide. Okay? Now, imagine these are five manuscripts of, uh, of the New Testament, and you've, got, um, and you've got various things to look at. So, manuscript number one, Jesus Christ is the Savior. Uh, that's kind of a British spelling of Savior. Of the whole world. No D. Right? Uh, and then manuscript number two, Christ Jesus is the Savior of the world. Okay, but we left out the word whole there. And we switched Jesus and Christ, the order of those two words. Uh, Jesus Christ, S, the Savior of the whole world and everyone in it. Well, that one is missing the letter I, and it adds another whole phrase. Uh, manuscript number four, Jesus Christ is the Savior like we're seasoning or something, right? But it misses the E and it misses the I, the saver of the whole world. And then manuscript number five, Christ Jesus is the whole world, right? Now, looking at those documents, and this would be very representative of some of the data that we have in various places as you compare manuscripts, can you discern what the original message was? Yes, you sure can. Um... Now, what if I told you that, that manuscript number one 
and manuscript number four was produced in the early 100s AD, and that manuscripts number two and number five were produced in the 600s, would you go, hmm, I think the ones number one and number, uh, number four are more likely to be right. That's probably what you would conclude, because they're earlier in time to when the document was originally produced, right? That's what you would think. Uh, and you would probably conclude that something went wrong somewhere, and then things got, um, things got messed up, but the original message was, Jesus Christ is the Savior of the whole world. Uh, now, you have a lot of real common errors that creep in. You have things like misspellings. You have words that are flipped around. Uh, but is the message still the same? Yes. Uh, in the New Testament, you have about 400,000 variants. Here, I want to go to the next slide here. Okay. Uh, about 400,000 variants. In other words, places where the text reads differently depending on which manuscript that you're looking at. There are about 5,700 Greek manuscripts, about 400,000 variants. Uh, by the way, that's an average of 70 places per manuscript. Okay, so roughly 70% are misspellings. In other words, things like the savor of the world or leaving the E off the or these kinds of things. And many of the remainder are changes in word order. Is it Christ Jesus is the Savior of the world, or is it Jesus Christ is the Savior of the world? Well, scholars, for the scholars it really matters a whole lot, but to you and I it might not matter very much. It's the same person we're referring to, just with a different word order. Uh, less than 1% are significant changes in meaning. And what they consider to be a significant change, by the way, is something like this. In 1 John uh, chapter 1, verse 4, it says, does it say that our joy may be complete or that your joy may be complete? Is the meaning different? Well, yeah. Is it, is, is it a hugely significant change in meaning? Not really. <laughs> okay. Um, and so, in other words, less than 1%, less than 4,000 uh, of these variants have any significant change in meaning whatsoever. And not a single one in all of the, uh, all of the variants that there are changes any, and I'm serious about this, even, even the most liberal, critical guys who don't like the Bible and have, want nothing to do with God would agree with me when I say this. Not a single one changes any Christian doctrine whatsoever. Not a single one. Uh, but this is, these are something that you need to know. And, and what you need to understand here is that, is that it is the sheer wealth of data that we have that allows us to get very, very precise in what we understand about the Bible. We look for things like, uh, generally speaking, the shortest uh, variant is the preferred one because scribes tended to add stuff on 
you know, and the way that they a lot of times did that was these guys would do their devotions by writing out a copy of the scriptures for themselves. And then they would write sometimes marginal notes out in the side, off to the side, they'd have a little, you know, you know, Jesus is the savior of the of the whole world and everyone in it. Right? They'd write that, and everyone in it. And then you know, 50 years later, 100 years later, another guy is coming along and he's writing and he's like, is that supposed to be in the text? Did he make a mistake and it's supposed to be in there? I don't know. Better include it. (laughs) And so the text tended to get a little bit longer over time. But we have enough manuscripts, and again, more and more are being found all the time, to be able to, to discern exactly what the New Testament said with a very, very high degree of accuracy. Uh, We can be about 99.9% confident that what God originally gave is what we have. Uh, And we can be confident about that in the overwhelming majority uh, of everything in the New Testament. Um, Now, that's the New Testament record. When it comes to the Old Testament, we have a lot less manuscript evidence. There was much less of the Old Testament, um, much much smaller number of manuscripts of the Old Testament that have come down to this, to us. But what we do have is really, really interesting. Prior to 1948, the, the earliest manuscripts we had were from about 1000 A.D., and we knew that those manuscripts had been very carefully copied. For example... What the Hebrew scribes would do as they produced these manuscripts is they would find the middle letter of the book and the middle letter of each page and the beginning letter and the, first, and the last letter of each page and they would count the number of letters on each page and then uh, and the number of letters in the entire book and if there was any variance whatsoever between a page uh, that you were copying and the one you were copying from between the length of the book and the length that was supposed to be between the uh, uh, any variance whatsoever between any of the letters then you had to either destroy that page or if it was bad enough destroy the entire scroll and start over again you know that might not be bad if you were let's say copying Haggai if you're making a manuscript of Isaiah, it's a bit of effort, right? And, and so these guys went through a lot of training to be very precise in what they copied, and that, uh, that mattered. Because in 1948, they found in some caves in Qumran, uh, on the south end of the Dead Sea, uh, what was called the Dead Sea Scrolls. And scholars went wild because they thought, wow, we're going to now be able to compare and contrast from a thousand years later what we have in these caves. These caves date from the time of Jesus. And what they found was that there were almost no differences between 1000 A.D. and 50 B.C., Almost no differences. The text of the Old Testament has been faithfully preserved all the way through history. 
And all this matters because a lot of people think that the Bible that we have today is a copy of a copy of a copy, or it's a translation of a translation of a translation, and people go, well, how do we know what the original really said? And sometimes you get that question. But the, the translation you have in English is not going back to some other translation, but going back to Greek and Hebrew manuscripts of which more and more are being found all the time. And, and I know this sounds, as I'm talking about it, like a lot of academic mumbo-jumbo, but what, we're trying, what I'm trying to show you is that the, what we are translating from has been reproduced faithfully with 99.9% accuracy. Now, that doesn't prove, obviously, that what we have is necessarily from God. But what it does prove is that it's been reliably preserved. And that is therefore reliable in terms of what, was, what did God originally say. Now, uh, let's move on. Next slide here, please. Um, the Bible also provides us with reliable history. Now, here I want you to open up your Bible. Um, uh, Luke chapter 1. Uh, there are two tests that you can use to determine whether something is reliable source of history. Uh, one is the internal test. Does the book that you're reading claim to be history? Does it claim to, to record historical events? And over and over and over, all through your Bible, uh, the Bible is written like history. And the people who witnessed or investigated the events uh, that the Bible records are the Bible's authors. And over and over again, when we read biblical history, we read references to places and people and events and even sources outside of the Bible that were available to the biblical authors as they wrote. So I'm going to give you this example from the Gospel of Luke. Inasmuch as many have undertaken to, com to compile a narrative of the things that have been accomplished among us, just as those who from the beginning were eyewitnesses and ministers of the word have delivered them to us, it seemed good to me also, having followed all these things closely for some time past, to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus, that you may have certainty concerning the things that you have been taught. In other words, what Luke is saying is this. We didn't make this stuff up. We are writing down for you the things that we saw or that I as a, as a person have investigated and followed to see than uh, to give you certainty that what you have been told about Jesus actually took place. And the point of Luke's gospel is to give an orderly account of Jesus' life as history. In other words, I'm not setting out here, Theophilus, whoever he is, to write you a mythical story like the ancient people would sometimes write about Zeus or Hermes or Ares or whoever. They are writing with a concern for historical accuracy. 
Now that's the internal test. Now just because the Bible Bible claims to be historical and a historical record doesn't prove that it is. So then you go to the external test. And the external test is, does the Bible record events that we can verify from other sources outside the Bible? And again, the answer to that question is yes. A lot of people have... um, have asked questions about the Bible. Go to the next slide. And they've said, well, wait a minute. Hold on. There are some things that aren't historical that the Bible records. Let me give you some of the famous examples. Okay, Uh, The existence of the Hittites. About 160 years ago, the Bible was under major attack, and lots of people were saying, the Bible talks about people groups that do not exist. And you go, really? Well, give us one example. Well, how about the Hittites? The Hittites are referred to 50 times in the Old Testament. So if they never existed, they have some questions about whether the Bible is reliable. They were unknown to history. Nowhere outside of the Bible were there any references to the Hittites until the year 1876, when the Hittite capital was unearthed by archaeologists. Because, see, there were some archaeologists... and these early guys that thought, well, you know what? You might be right, but the Bible says that this stuff is there. And if the Bible says it, I'm going to go dig where it says that they were. And guess what? The Bible was right. They were there. And their capital city was found. Their capital city covered 300 acres. This was a civilization that rivaled the Babylonians in power And it's unknown outside the Bible until 1876. These people had been lost to history, but they were recorded in the Bible. Uh, The Pool of Siloam, this is another one where historians said, uh, when John writes in John chapter 9, and you can read this story in John chapter 9, John heals a man born blind, and he tells him to go wash in the Pool of Siloam. And historians and archaeologists said, there is no pool of Siloam, it's not there. And so John must have been making stuff up. John must not have been an eyewitness as he claims to be. He must be making stuff up. Well, guess what? In the year 2004, they dug it up where John said it was in Jerusalem. And it was this massive pool. In fact, there are steps that go down into it on all sides. You can go see it today. But they said it wasn't there until they found it. Uh, the, here's, here's another one. Um, there, in the ancient world, when they would write documents, they would put a seal on them, and they would be marked with the king's seal. And one of the ways that they would make those is they would take soft clay and they would press the king's signet ring into it and it would leave a seal, an impression. And these clay seals would, of course, dry out and be preserved. So there's some of the things that we find very commonly. Well, uh, until uh, the year 2014, lots of scholars said... There's no evidence that David and Solomon ever existed. They were mythical kings that were made up to give the Israelites a more exalted history until they found, from the relevant time period, the 10th century B.C., the time of David and Solomon, six 
clay seals bearing the seal the house of David. And they found him not in the capital city, they found him in a little small town out in some village somewhere where scholars said, oh, there was no ancient kingdom that ruled over this area. Except there was. And they know that because you don't send official government documents sealed with the house, the seal of the house of David the king unless David the king actually rules over that place. But they found him in 2014. Just this last, this, this last year, they, they uncovered the gates of the, city of the ancient city of Lachish over in Israel. And they found there a pagan shrine that was destroyed under King Hezekiah. You can read about it on foxnews.com like I did this week. Okay. Uh, in fact, I put the article up on our Facebook page uh, for the church. Uh, they find this stuff all the time. And let me just give you a, a, a statement here from uh, the archaeologist Nelson Gluck. He said, It may be stated categorically that no archaeological discovery has ever controverted a biblical reference. In other words, if the Bible says it, it's been proven true. Or, when they find it, will be proven true by the Scriptures. The Scriptures will show themselves reliable in terms of the history that they record over and over and over. People who make statements, the, uh, the Bible's not true at that point, get that history proven true by evidence outside the Bible. Now, go to the next slide, if you would, please. Uh, the Bible also has reliable prophecy. Uh, Zechariah chapter 11, verses 12 and 13, prophesied about 500 years prior to Jesus that the Messiah would be sold for 30 pieces of silver and the money used to buy a potter's field. That happened. And by the way, this is not something that Jesus could have had anything to do with. He was not controlling who would betray him or what they would do with the money afterward. This is not, a, not something he could have just kind of stepped into. Well, you know, you really need to sell me, Judas, for 30 pieces. Because that would fulfill prophecy. That's not how it worked. It's not how betrayal to death works, right? Uh, Daniel chapter 9, verses 24 to 26, predicted the date of Jesus' death to the day. And it was made 483 years prior to the event. I can give you some really good stuff on that. 483 years prior to the event, Daniel predicts the exact day that Jesus would die. How did he know? Uh, Daniel also predicts the rise of the Greek Empire about 300 plus years prior to the existence of Alexander the Great. And he tells its history in sufficient detail that individual rulers in his dynasty can be identified historically. 300 years prior to when these guys show up on the world scene. How did he do that? Well, either he was really smart, or the Bible has some unusual characteristics about it. Um... And these are not the only examples, but, but let me just say this, okay? One of the things the Bible does that makes it unique 
is that uh, lots of, there are lots of spiritual books that are out there. You, know, you can read the Bhagavad Gita, you can read the Vedas, you can read the Quran, you can read the Book of Mormon, you can read, um, uh, you know, what's Mary Ellen White's thing, you know, Science and Health, or, you know, you can re- get into Scientology and read L. Ron Hubbard if you want. I mean, you can really get into some weird and wild stuff. But the thing is, is that all those books all talk in the same way. They all talk to you up here about stuff that, that is spiritual and stuff that is, um, you know, that you really can't get access to in any way. You just have to kind of trust them that what they're saying is true. But what the Bible does very uniquely is it will take spiritual truth and it will tie it off down here to the level of things we can access to things like history archaeology language culture uh, prophecy that we can see fulfilled and it does that so that we can see the things that we can verify and that gives us encouragement to believe in the things that we can't i can't verify that there is a triune god that is out there. But all of the things that I can verify from the Scriptures give me encouragement to believe that everything else the Scripture says is in fact true. Amen? And so this stuff matters because it encourages us to believe in the reliability of the Scriptures because if it's reliable in everything I can test then why should I assume it's unreliable in the things that I can't? The Bible has reliable history and reliable prophecy. How many of y'all remember the Back to the Future movies? Remember those? Yeah, I love those movies. Right? One of them was set in the year 2015. How many of y'all have a hoverboard and a flying car that runs on your garbage? Raise your hand. <laughs> right? Not many of us, right? We don't ha- in fact, not any of us. We don't have that. That was made 30 years ago, and that's what they thought the future would look like in 2015. Do I think it would be really cool if we did have flying cars? Yes, I want one. I want one that goes about 700 miles an hour. It would be great, right? And runs on garbage. That would be fantastic. Um, but we don't have that. And that was just 30 years ago. It was just 30 years ago. And yet, the Bible makes prophecies about events hundreds and hundreds of years later that get fulfilled in precise detail. And we can trust what we can't see with the things that we can't because of the things that we can see that come true. Now, um, let me give you a couple other things. It also has a reliable consistency to it. Go to the next one. Reliable consistency. Imagine that you told people, we're going to take 40 people, and we're going to give them 1,500 years, and we're going to make them from every socioeconomic background. We're going to give them three different languages to write in on three continents, Europe, Africa, and Asia. We're going to give them a wide variety of occupations, doctors, lawyers, kings, fishermen, shepherds, fig pickers, poets, and priests. And we're going to have them write one book together. What would you get from that mishmash of cultures and languages and backgrounds and 
economic levels, what would you get? Would you get a consistent, coherent, making sense book? No, you would not. You would get a mishmash of conflicting opinions and all kinds of different ideas about who God is and what he's like and all this kind of thing. But in the Bible, what you have is complete consistency all the way through about who God is, about how to have a relationship with him, about what he requires of you, about how to have a relationship with other people that is based on love and grace and concern for their welfare. You get reliable teaching about events in the future. You get reliable, consistent teaching about things in the present and in the past. Even though you have all of these amazing factors that go into that consistency from beginning to end and it's by the way that the message of the bible is a single message pointing to a single person jesus christ and whether you're talking genesis 1 1 or revelation 22 21 uh, you have the whole thing in full telling you one message that is different from every other world religion that is out there Every other world religion that is out there, and I would include in that everything from Roman Catholicism to Zoroastrianism, is going to tell you the same thing. There's a list of things that you need to do, D-O, to obtain God's favor. And if you do them, then you will go to heaven, experience nirvana, um, you know, enter paradise and receive your 72 virgins, you know, whatever version you want to create of that, they all are reliant on you doing for you what you need to do to obtain God's favor. But the Bible has one message, and it's distinct from all that, and the message is that Jesus Christ has done, D-O-N-E, all that is necessary for you to obtain God's favor. And what you need to do is put your trust in the one who has done for you what you cannot do for yourself. Amen? And it's consistent all the way through. That's the message. Now, it also has reliable spiritual truth. Go to the next slide, if you would, please. Tells you who God is, what he requires of you, who you are, what your place in the universe is, how to enter a relationship with God, how to grow in a relationship with God, how to possess eternal life, how to love other people sacrificially, and much, much more. You can trust every bit of it to tell you the straight truth about how to do all of these things. And given the fact that we're here at church, I would guess that most of you, if I ask you, is the Bible reliable? You would say, go to the next slide. You would say, yes, I believe the Bible is reliable. In fact, the reason I'm coming here is to learn some of it. And, and I am hoping that the Bible will serve as a guide for life and how to, have, how to grow in my relationship with God. But let me ask you this question. If, the, if you believe the Bible is reliable, do you read it? Do you read it? 
I know a lot of us don't like to read the directions on anything, whether that's a smartphone or a barbecue grill. But the fact is, is that if we believe that God's Word is His completely sufficient revelation to us, that He speaks to us in it, then it would help to read it. Amen? Uh, The best Bible to get remains whichever one you're going to read and use and apply in your life, right? Uh, the, the, one, the way I do a lot of my Bible reading nowadays is on my smartphone with a version app, okay? Uh, you can book, get any version you want. You can get ESV, you can get Amplified, you can get the Good News translation, you can get anything imaginable, King James, whatever. Uh, and you can get yourself on a plan and read through God's Word and come to understand some great things about who God is and and how to live your life as a result. And uh, it is reliable in everything that it says. And if the Bible is reliable, here's the other question. Do you trust it? Lots and lots and lots of people encounter uh, in life things that could be completely avoided if they just listened to what the Bible has to say. In fact, one of the things that I encounter a lot in my counseling is people who come to me with a problem and that I ask them if they have considered what God says in His Word about this, and they say to me, I know the Bible says that, but I've decided to do X, Y, Z. And so then my question is the Dr. Phil question. How's that working for you? <laughs> right? Well, not well. That's why I'm here. Okay, well, why don't we go back and try (laughs) what God said and see how that goes, right? If the Bible is reliable, do you trust it? Do you trust it with your life? Because this is God's infallible revelation to us about how to know Him and follow Him and live for Him and ultimately how to live with Him in eternity. Amen? So, uh, let's pray, and let's, uh, let's ask God's blessing on His Word to us. God, our Heavenly Father, we have spent a lot of time talking about Your Word and, and all of the ways in which it is trustworthy. Father, I pray that we would come to see the Bible as what it really is, the living and active revelation from your lips into our life, that we might know you, follow you, worship you, obey you, and one day dwell with you as we put our trust in Jesus Christ, who is the central figure of the whole thing. Uh, Father, we pray that you would be exalted uh, as you are in the Scriptures in our lives. And Father, we pray in Jesus' name, amen.